You are now listening to This and That, a podcast collaboration about some of everything that's anything with your hosts, David and Brenda. Now, let's get to talking about this and that. Hello, this and that listeners. This is Brenda, also known as Miss Brenda. And, and this is David, aka the professor. And we're in podcast land where you are listening to our new podcast, This and That. And today is March the 16th, the day after the Ides of March. Correct? That's correct. And if you don't know what Ides of March is, we're going to let you look that up. And then you can send us an email at this and that at aboutgreatercincinnati.com. This, the letter N, that, at sign, aboutgreatercincinnati.com. And just so you know, today is March 16th, like I already said, and um, we are recording and going to talk with you about several topics, including, what are we going to talk about? Uh, Let's see, uh, recurring segments, What's Hot comes back, and again, for those who are new to our podcast, What's Hot is our uh, segment about breaking events current events that are being talked about everywhere, social media, the barbershop, etc. So that's what we've got under What's Hot, and we'll be talking about Operation Varsity Blues, and I'll leave it at that. Operation Varsity Blues, mm, that sounds interesting. Yes, and then we get into uh, the follow-up to our teaser in the end of Episode 7, where I said... Uh, Folks out there are definitely not eating their grandparents' bananas. And I will elaborate on that, as uh, promised from last time. In our What Really Happened segment, uh, talk about this whole Boeing 737 MAX 8 and MAX 9, well, let's talk about plane that was grounded. What's up with that? What's that really about? And so on. All right, so we got... Quite a bit to talk about, as and, usual. Including the words of wisdom. Including the words of wisdom. Which is a special treat this week, and a I won't very give up the surprise. Treat. No, don't give up the surprise, no, please. No. Um, we want to keep people wondering and sitting on the edge of their seats, wondering what is the surprise. But you got to stay tuned and listen closely so you'll know what we're talking about. But in the meantime, um, for those of you who have just learned about this and that. Welcome to our podcast. And for those of you that keep coming back, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a loyal listener and keep coming back for more and more. So, um, and as we've told you before, you can find us on demand, correct? Yes, on demand, meaning anywhere and everywhere where we're listed, 24-7, 365. Uh, we are on SoundCloud, which is our quote-unquote home. You can also find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, at least the podcast part, they're kind of rebranding. We are also on Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play Music, not to be confused with the Google App Store, Play Store, Google Play Music, and Stitcher, the spoken word repository. 
So basically, you have no reason to not listen to us. You can find us some of everywhere where we're going to talk about everything that's anything, right? That's correct. So are we ready to get started? Yes. Um, on your Ides of March, I will give people a hint. Uh, Ides of March was made famous or infamous by the assassination of Julius Caesar in 44 B.C., gives people a little bit more to look for. I wasn't going to tell you that, and I asked him not to tell you that so you could look it up for yourselves, but... You can still look it up. He has more, given you a little bit of a hint, so... More to it than just now, Julius Caesar. go look it up, folks, if you're that curious. Yeah, there's, there's much more to it than Julius Caesar okay, being assassinated right. Okay, all right, all right. Can we now move on? Yes, I think okay. we're ready for the show. So let's get started. We are now going to talk about what's hot. And there's been a lot of hot topics going on this week. But I think one of the hottest topics has been this whole college cheating scandal, correct? Yes, Known by the feds, or called by the feds, Operation Varsity Blues. You know, everything has to have an operation Yeah, and all the feds are involved. If the feds are involved, everything has to have an operation. And for those who are may not be familiar with this, what are we talking about? Oh, we are talking about um, an individual by the name of Rick Singer, who was a uh, coach, sports coach, for high school athletics and then had a brief stint in college and and after a while decided to open up one of these kind of college admission preparatory centers that you know very rich affluent folks or people who really really save up money send their kids to to find out how best they can get into colleges and universities there are lots of these places around and Obviously, the overwhelming number of these are legit. So hopefully they won't get tainted by this. This Rick Singer ran one of these places that was completely um, illegitimate. And we'll get into, get into how that the whole scheme and what this was about in a bit. But the feds kind of stumbled across this doing another undercover job. And they found out all this stuff was going on uh, with Rick Singer after they arrested him for something else. I mean, he's looking at really going to jail for almost life for a bunch of different things. But while he was there, he, he was like, um, can I make a deal? I know, I know about this huge cheating scandal that's going on. And the feds care about this cheating scandal because of how it works. All right, so to make a long story short... What were some of the the components of the cheating scandal? The main way this worked is that Rick Singer would have the the parents, one or more of these parents, and sit down with them and say, um, I can guarantee that your child can get into fill-in name of elite university here. And some of the places caught up in this were... Stanford, Yale, USC, and there's more than that. So some pretty big names. Yes. And, you know, pay pay him, you know, a boatload of money. In some cases, you know, major six figures or high five figures, but a lot of money to make this happen. And the but, but when you say they paid him a lot of money, 
They didn't pay I'll, him. I'll, I'll I'll get into that. You're okay. kind of skipping ahead. All right. Well, I'm just trying to <laughs> keep this moving along. You're kind of skipping ahead. So the, we can get to the juicy stuff. Well, we're getting there. So the way most of these things worked, apparently college admissions, and because he was a coach, he understood this, there are, for um, college coaches, they get to, to have so many slots for their athletes. And they go to the admissions office and say, you know, Jane Doe is coming. We, want, we, we really want her to be on our track and field team. And you need to, you college admission person need to save a slot for Jane Doe. And apparently the college admissions folks just take the word of these coaches that they, these people have invented, they can meet the standards and so on. So they get in preferential treatment that way. And that's what um, Rick Singer was doing. He had bribed folks and was paying people under the cover so that they could say, gee, this person will be on the rowing team. It was, was no, none of the big money-making sports because I guess those would be too radioactive. It was things like uh, rowing and tennis and so forth. And they would Photoshop people's heads onto other people's bodies to make them more athletic looking and a whole bunch of other things. To, so to, what you're telling me is that he would take all this money from people and get their kids into colleges on some type of a scholarship, but they may not even play that particular sport. They never played the sport. And it didn't matter if they played the sport before or after. They didn't play in college because once they... The whole point was to get them slotted in so that they got into the college. Let's say USC, which was named here. So they would get in the USC, say, on the you know rowing team, which actually really happened in some cases. Uh, once they got in, the coach would then go to the admissions office and say, Jane Doe didn't make it. Cut her from the team. So they would yank the scholarship and, you know, send Jane Doe a nice letter saying, well, you were cut from the team. You're gonna, you got to get out of USC unless you pay whatever it costs. Mommy and Daddy are rich. They don't care. The whole point was to get them in. They can pay. See, see how it worked? Yes, I that's, see how it That's worked. how the game was played. So basically pay to play. Yes, it was complete pay to play, but it was worse than that because the way the parent or parents paid Rick Singer was – he set up a 5013C, a nonprofit, so that they paid him through this nonprofit, and he then took the money to grease the skids and all to make that happen. The parents then, because it's nonprofit, got a tax write-off. Bingo. That's why the feds are involved. This is tax fraud. So this can be some people going to jail. Oh, they're going to go to jail. Including the singer guy. Yeah, well, he's the one singing. Well, no pun might, intended. He might be singing, but that doesn't mean he's going to go to jail. He's going to go to jail. They're not going to let him walk because of, because of this. Because he's wanted on so many different things had, that had nothing to do. They, the feds didn't even know about this. They were caught, He was caught up in something completely different that I even bothered to research. And he's in there. You've, if you've seen Law & Order, you folks listening in podcast land, this is where... The, the, they, the, they catch somebody on Law & Order, and then they're sitting across from the table, and they're going, yeah, but you don't know about this, this, and this. And that's all I'm telling you, unless you work something out, Mr. or Ms. D.A., well, with my what? lawyer. Guess what? The and feds know about this, this, and this. There are going to be a lot of people uh, 50. going to jail. 50 so far. 50 is the count, of which 
There are two known celebrities. Yes, uh, Lori Laughlin and um, uh, can't think of the name of the she other. She was in Desperate Housewives. Um, uh, Felicity Hoffman. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and the funny thing about Desperate Housewives, when she was in Desperate Housewives, her character and her husband on the show, not a real life husband, obviously, but they had, this is a weird, one of these life imitates art, because there was a Desperate Housewives episode or series of episodes where they're trying to get their kid into a prep school and they're doing pay for play. Well, I guess this is crazy. She was probably doing this it at crazy. that time. And so she people was like, are speculating. Why not? People are speculating. Did she get the idea from the show? Or was she doing it, like you said, during the show? But that's just crazy. That is crazy. Now, the I other... I guess we're going to hear some more about oh, this. Oh, of course. Now, there are other people, CEOs. I mean, all these folks are high-powered folks. And there are tons of CEOs caught up in this. And you can find the list online of everybody there. But they're going to... They're heads of, like, PIMCO, which is the largest bond fund in, in the world. And bonds are what makes... you got to put in a highway or whatever, you, you, you get a bond and so forth. So... A lot of high-powered people are going to end up in jail. Well, Mr. Singer has sung, and he's singing like a canary, and there's still going to be a lot that we're going to hear to this tune. Absolutely. Haven't heard the last of it. Now we're going to get into what's up with that. And when we talked at our last podcast... I was getting hungry towards the end of the podcast, and I asked David for a banana. And he said, it's not your parents' or your grandparents' banana. Depending how old you are. And I was like, what do you mean by that? So guess what, folks? He's going to tell us what he meant by that. So, floor is all yours. Yes. And I and, will... And by the way, the banana was good. Yes, she thoroughly enjoyed the banana. Yes, she asked for another one, and I said, no. Too much potassium. But I digress. Um, this is one of these podcast segments that is going to make your heads explode. Because everything you think you know about the banana, I'm just going to wipe out of your brains. And you're going to go, what? This is that crazy. All right. We'll start. Before I get to the whole grandparents, parents thing, we, we have to back up a little bit. Now, tomato, tomato. Tomatoes. Brenda, is a tomato a fruit or is it a vegetable? Well, in my book, it's a vegetable. And a lot of people say that, but it is a fruit. And it's a fruit because when you cut a tomato open, it has seeds inside of it. And if it carries its own seeds and a bunch of other things, but if it carries its own seeds, then it's a fruit. But you see, tomatoes, no. yes, tomatoes are really fruits. And this is one of those things that's not too controversial, but a lot of people want to pretend that they're still vegetables, but they're really uh, a fruit. Now, the banana, is it a fruit? It's not a vegetable, but is it a fruit? I would say it's fruit, because I've always eaten it like it's a fruit. Well, you're half right. Banana is a fruit, but also it's not a fruit. And now, wait a minute. You're either a fruit or you're not a fruit. So which is it? It's, it's both. Bananas, as we know them right now, are, are human-made. The banana is a sterile, mutant, half-fruit. 
5,000 years ago, people started playing around with bananas and made them what they are today. If you slice open a banana, you think in that banana slice, you see seeds. And there's these little kind of speck things. Those technically are seeds, but they're sterile. They're not going to grow anything. So it's, and also the banana tree, it's not really a tree. It's more of kind of like a flower. Uh, the banana is an herb. What do you mean a banana is an herb? It's a herb because it's a suck, it's, it's a plant. Like, it's, it's not, not like a tree. Time. It's not. It's the, not like basil. To be a tree, you have to ha you have to have wood, like wooden stem, whatever. Banana trees are not don't have wooden stems. They have succulent stems. They're more like an aloe plant. What I mean by succulent, when you slice open the leaf of a, a succulent plant, they store water and other things like that. So aloe plants and some other things, they have water and the like in them. Banana plants are the same way. Their trunks are succulent. They are not wood. It is, its relative, its closest relative is ginger. I told you this was a mutant, and I told y'all I was gonna explode your minds, explode your brains. So are you gonna tell me now bananas come from Mars? Um, no, but maybe, human life did, but that's a whole other subject we won't get into. Anyway, bananas 5,000 years ago, people started playing around with and made these mutant things and they, they wiped out the seeds because people apparently were really picky eaters way back then and they didn't want seeds in bananas. So that ended that. So how do bananas propagate? Bananas propagate, if I like Star Trek, especially classic Star Trek. And there's a classic Star Trek episode, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the, the title right now, where they beam down on a, on a planet where the people have been acting real strange. And there's plants that spew spores at people and they change. This is an episode where Spock has emotions and falls in love because the spores take over his body. Well, the bananas don't spew scores of spores like in that episode, they just spew one spore. The banana plant flowers and creates the banana, we'll call it a fruit just to not blow your minds too much, and then it dies. But before it dies, it spews off one of these, you know, pod things. And that's where a new banana tree sprouts from. Just like in Star Trek, you get that thing spewing out. But instead of infecting people and making them act crazy, you get a new banana plant. So how is the banana that I eat today different from the banana that my grandparents ate? Well, because bananas are sterile mutants, they're not, as the geneticists say, they're not genetically robust and genetically diverse enough so that when certain diseases come along, they can't fight them off. And this has happened over and over again where there are thousands of varieties of bananas. Just to let you know, we eat a banana called, today called the Cavendish banana, but there are also bananas called ice cream, goldfinger, and all sorts of crazy names. Well, in my book, a banana <laughs> is a banana. They all taste good, so. Yes, but they, they taste different. And the bananas that our parents and grandparents grew up on was called the Gros Michel. Yes, Big Mike in plain English. And that's what they, the English called it. Big Mike, of course, the French being sophisticated, it was Gros Michel. But that was a banana, and it was said to be smoother and creamier and much, much sweeter than the bananas of today. And I know this for a fact because I, the whole reason I got into this is one day 
Uh, my mother, who always packed lunches when I was a little kid and I always ate bananas and uh, it was like for a year and a half or something, bananas and um, peanut butter and jelly. Um, and then it became just peanut butter on crackers. And I was getting tired of bananas or whatever. And my mom, and then we switched to apples. And just as she does sometimes, still to this day, just, you know, non sequitur, it was kind of like, well, doesn't matter anyway because these bananas aren't as good as, you know, they used to be. I chalked that up at the time to one of those, yeah, and I had to walk five miles to school in the pouring rain and all this other stuff. But years later, I found out that that was not a flippant remark because, as I said, the bananas are not biodiverse. So when uh, a strain of, of um, virus came along, it pretty much meant the extinction of the Big Mike banana. So the, by the 60s, it went the way of the dodo bird. It was, it was just not around. Now, I'm told that there are some places in the Pacific Islands, in remote places and some remote parts of Africa, where for whatever reason the virus has not hit that part of the earth and you can actually find the gross Michelle. The only other place is they can, they can actually grow this plant, but they know if they grow it, it's going to be wiped out because the virus is still in the air. It's kind of like the walking dead. The virus is around, so you try and grow the gross Michelle, it's going to die. So that's why it's not the same banana. And, and Dole and these other people substituted the Cavendish because that was the closest to the taste of the gross Michelle banana. So in the 60s, they, they phased that out and went to the Cavendish. Well, like I said before, whether it's bananas from the 60s or bananas from the 2000s or the bananas from 2019, it still tastes good. Wait, but I'm not done. What do you mean you're not done? The banana, every 10 years, if you read scientific journals like I do, you'll find they always, it's kind of like oil. Every 10 years or so, somebody says, oh, we're running out of oil, we're gonna all gonna die, we can't find oil. Then some technological breakthrough comes along and we get more oil, like the shale oil boom that we're going right now. The US is like the biggest producer in the world now because of that. Every 10 years, someone says bananas, the Cavendish banana is going to get wiped off and it's going to become extinct. And we're back to one of those phases because there is a similar strain to the tropical disease that wiped out the, the Big Mike banana that's going around the world. It hasn't hit South America where the Cavendish banana comes from for the most part. But there's hope because in Africa where banana is like a huge staple, and by the way, the banana is the fourth most important crop in the world behind like corn and wheat and I forget the other one. And in, in Africa, it is a staple of everything. They use it to, to uh, the, the leaves and everything to make um, clothes. Uh, they serve food on it because it's very sterile. They use the bananas kind of like the way we use aloe. You can get splinters out. You can do a whole bunch of things with banana stuff. I could do a whole segment on what you can use bananas for besides eating them. But there is a like um, a, a black streak virus that's going through Africa, but science has solved that through what they call gene editing, which I'm not going to get into when we do tech edition. I will talk yeah, about save, gene editing. Save it for tech edition. But they, they've, they've found a way to, to wipe that out of there. So people are thinking about using that technology to save the Cavendish banana as well. So once again, when people say that that banana is going to go extinct or other ones, um, probably not this time and probably not 
for the times down the road, perhaps. And this gets into the side effects of gene editing. And people may have heard of this because there was a Chinese scientist who said, hey, I just created gene edited babies. And people, the press in China reported it, then it finally made it into the, translated into the, um, the English press about three or four months later. People were really skeptical, and then they looked into it and they were like, oh yeah, he gene edited babies. So we're, we're into Brave New World. If you read the Alex Huxley novel, you know what I mean. And I'll get into more of this in the Tech Edition. That's all, right, all well, I'm going to say for now. Save the stuff for Tech Edition. All I can say is, can I have a banana, please? No, not this time. All right. We're in the middle of the podcast. Okay, well, let's no, move on. No move eating on during to the, the podcast. next topic. I still like the taste of bananas. <laughs> Now it's time to get into what really happened. Is that next? Yes. So what really happened with all these uh, Boeing 737s? Yeah, 737 MAX 8 planes. And then there's the MAX 9, which is a bigger version of it, but but has the same potential issues. What's going on there? Uh, let's see. Well, okay, What what is this plane anyway? Uh, they're really, for all intents and purposes, and other companies can get mad with me all they want, for all intents and purposes, there are only really two large commercial airline manufacturers in the world that count. There's Boeing, based in the U.S., and there's Airbus, which is a French-German consortium uh, based in France, for the most part, but the, the French and Germans collaborate together. Um, they go back and forth and back and forth as far as competing with respect to commercial planes that airline um, companies around the world, you know, the Deltas, the United, the China Airs, or in this case, the Lion Air that had a crash in the Ethiopian Air, who, who's going to buy what planes? And Airbus had a, um, I believe it was the Airbus A320, which was their answer to the 737, which the the 737, even before the MAX, is the, is the best-selling airplane of all time. It is a workhorse airplane. If you get on a Southwest flight, that's all Southwest uses, 737s and other, other things like that. It's, it's, it's a workhorse plane. It's like the, the bus, bus in the sky. So Airbus came up with this, the A320, and their pitch to companies was that, hey, we've got the A320, it only needs these two engines. They're super fuel efficient. And obviously, even before oil went up, it's gone down a little bit now in the last decade. But it's expensive. Jet fuel is expensive. And you'll save on jet fuel. You'll be able to fly longer. You can configure the plane different ways. And because it's so efficient, you don't have to do what normally airlines do, which is just pack people in like sardines and maximize the number of people in, on them because they have three and four four um, engines. So they got to maximize, definitely have to maximize the fuel uh, economy with those flights. So it's a pretty big size plane. Not necessarily big size plane. It, that's, that's the whole point. It could be a mid-sized plane and you don't have to pack people in with sardines. So you can market, oh, you got this and that leg room and everything else and put in more entertainment systems. And in Asia, where the distances are, are huge, it's very hard here in America. You have to find a, a real map or a real globe that shows the countries and the oceans in, in true perspective and not, 
you know, the U.S. as the center of the, of the world and the largest land mass, which we're not, you know, country-wise. You, if you look at a real map, you see how huge the distances are in Asia. You understand why they would care about comfort, they would care about distance and things like that. And the, the 320 was eaten into Boeing's profits for the 737. So the engineers at Boeing, what was their answer? That's what this Max 8 and then the Max 9, which is a stretched out version, a little bit longer, that's what it was all about. Um, some of you it may... Was, it was all about comfort. No, it was about making money. Well, yeah. And it was about making money. About making money, but in in the, the long run, folks flying on the plane... That's marketing. That's, that's marketing. Okay. That's, I said that's how you market to people. Okay. You go When you build the plane, you go to the airline company, you go to the... the airline company and you say, hey, I've got this plane and it's even more fuel efficient than the A320. So you can even do more things in your cabins and the like with respect to that. You don't have to cram people in sardines. You, you can change around your, your packing algorithms, play with your ticketing price, whatever you want to do. And you can go even longer distances now. Now, how did they do this? They made the set, a 737 with colossal, massive engines. And when they did that, planes which really shouldn't fly, they're not really aerodynamic, but that's another story how planes really fly and get in the air. Look at a bumblebee. Bumblebees shouldn't fly either, and that's what planes are kind of patterned after. So they changed the aerodynamics of the plane, which makes it more dangerous. So uh, because it can become heavy and tip forward, and that means the nose tips down, and the plane will stall out because it won't have, have lift to keep it in the air, and it'll crash. So what they did was they came up with software to, uh, to know if the sensors say, hey, the nose is starting to dip down to this level where the plane will stall out and crash and kill everybody, lift the nose up automatically. Doesn't matter what the pilots are doing or anything. Just lift the nose up and keep the plane aloft. That was how they were going to... That was how the engineers were like, we could have these super huge engines and have this plane that will kill off the A320 from the, and I, you know, kill off in a figurative sense, the A320 from a competition standpoint with Boeing. So That's the, what they did. So does Boeing still have their plane? What do you mean do they still have their plane? Because of what we're talking about. Do they still make these 737 Planes. Of course they do. Yes, but the plane what's, is. What's wrong with them? The plane is grounded. Well, the the the. What? No, just explain. Why is the plane now grounded? Because the, they're not flying them. The plane is grounded because what I just told you. The software called MCAS, Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, that automatically pushes the nose back up if it if it starts to go down. That's what people believe is the prime suspect because when they looked at the data from um, the Lion Air crash. And Lion Air was an airline in, in Asia uh, that, that crashed a few months ago. And people were like, what happened with you know, this crash with the 7, 737 MAX 8 jet? And it looked like the, the pilots were fighting the plane. They were trying, they didn't realize what the plane was doing because they hadn't been trained. And this is where Boeing may come into play. I'm not a lawyer, but they may get into some trouble with this because the other pitch they had to sell this plane was usually when planes go in, you have to change manuals, you got to train pilots and everything else. Boeing went to people and said, no, don't worry about it. It's the same plane. You don't have to retrain the pilots except the visual displays, the heads up, 
you know, that's a little bit different. So all every, anybody had to do was Boeing made a training package on an iPad. So you, the pilot, you looked at the iPad, you took the training course, it took about an hour, is my understanding, passed the test, and then you were ready to go with the Max 8. They didn't tell them about this new software, and that, like a lot of things, it's automated. Again, this is the equivalent of, folks know these new cars, I can be driving along if I have like a, a, a 2018, 2019, you know, name the car, Toyota, Toyota Camry. If all of a sudden the car in front of me hits their brakes real fast, there are these safety systems that detect that in my Camry, if I had a Camry, that would say, oh, this car in front, I got to do something with this car, otherwise we're going to crash. And it will control your brakes, take control away from the driver to do that. But people know from commercials and the like, and the dealers, because they're marketing this, that that's in the car. And oh, by the way, you can turn this stuff off if you want to, so that it just gives you a visual warning or whatever, beeps at you and doesn't automatically do this stuff. The plane, MCAS, there was a way to turn it off, but they never told people that it even existed. So they didn't even know that they're looking at sensors going, the plane's doing this crazy stuff, but they don't know that it's correcting for something. So they're, they're hitting turbulence and they're doing what they're trained to do in a regular 737 and the plane is fighting them, and they believe that's what caused the crash. So, so it's really yeah. the plane, and this is why the FAA, in my opinion, took so long to ground the plane, because FAA and Bowen are like, the plane's doing what it's supposed to do. But you didn't train or tell people about this, and there are lots of these reporting systems for pilots, and the Chinese move first, and a lot of commentators, because they want to make things super complicated, they're like, Oh, this is another sign that the U.S. is no longer the global leader in something, which is subtext, blame Trump. Let's blame Trump because he's screwing up the U.S. And the Chinese, no, the Chinese authorities, their version of the FAA, they've been hearing from their pilots for months that it's like, this, this Max thing has got issues. And they've been hearing all this data. So when they had a second crash, plus they had the data from the pilots, they went to the FAA and said, y'all better do something. And the FAA is like, oh, we don't have enough data. We need more data to make an empirically-based decision. And the Chinese were like, screw you. Well, I we're guess, end this. I guess now. <laughs> and, that, and then other people followed. So that's what really happened. Okay, it so wasn't a power play or all this other that's geopolitical what really stuff. It wasn't because Bottom of the line. trade war. It was because of the pilots. And the pilots in the U.S. were complaining too, but the FAA has a system for them to complain in, but they don't look at the data. But again, of the pilots. that's what really happened yes. to the bottom line of the Boeing 737 MAX 8 being grounded. Yes, well, the FAA grounded the plane. They would say, and in fairness, they are correct when they say this. People will look at this again superficially and say, oh, they got all this pressure around the world and from senators and the like. No, what came in was they got data from a, a company, Iridium, and Coincidentally, the SpaceX flight last week or the week before put in satellites, uh, the last few Iridium satellites. And what is Iridium does a lot of stuff, but what, it, what they also do is all the planes that are modern today, built after a certain year, send data to these satellite systems. And you get speed, velocity, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And the FAA got that data finally. Why they didn't look at it from day one after the second the Ethiopian crash, I can't tell you. 
because the data was there. But they finally looked at that data, and it was based off that data that they saw simil the similarities between the two crashes, and that's why they grounded the plane. Okay. Well, folks, the professor has spoken. That's what really happened. Right. So it's a combination of people not being trained properly to know what was going on in this new plane versus the plane is bad. And it's important for people to know that because the plane's going to come back into service and the software fix, whatever it is, might just be a better override or who knows what. Oh, it's probably going to be the fact that, and this is crazy, and having programmed, I would never have programmed this that way or anybody under me. I would never have let this happen. The sensor that the MCAS system ran on was just one sensor, singular. Never do that because there's in, in IT, there's a saying, garbage in, garbage out. For some reason, that sensor goes bad, or if it's getting data, but that data really needs to be correlated with some other data, you don't have it. So the, the fix is probably going to be multiple sensors now are going to feed into that system, if I had to make a prediction based on just my IT hat on, which I will now set aside. Again, the professor has spoken. That's what really happened. And we have our recurring segment, Wow, Words of Wisdom. And today's Words of Wisdom will come from a guest that we have that will speak to you with... Um, her expertise in the world in the world of certified professional life coaching. Her name is Sandra Hill, and her business is New Horizon Coaching. She is the host of Grow Your Voice, Overcome Your Fears, which airs on Voice America Internet Radio on Fridays from 3 to 4 p.m. And she is going to bring us our words of wisdom for today. So, Sandra, it's all yours. Hey, guys. Hey, everybody in podcast land. Hey, Bren Bren and Professor. Wow, I was listening to your show, and I was amazed at all the information that you were sharing. But you know what? As a professional life coach, we share information, too, but we also help individuals get that information from inside their heads because lots of time we have the answer except it's very deep in our subconscious you know and this this brings to light a song by uh Roy's Rolls Royce I'm dating myself now sorry about that guys but it was like something like um wish upon a star well you remember as a little kid you might have heard that nursery rhyme starlight star bright first star I see tonight. I wish I may. I wish I might have this wish I wish tonight. Anybody remember that? Yes, of course. Well, listen, you know, you can wish for anything. But what I want to leave your listeners and podcast land with, if you wish on something or you wish for something and you're already not happy, what makes you think that when you wish for something, it's going to change how you are. Happiness comes from within you. You are the only one who can make yourself happy. It's not determined by anybody else. So, bottom line, live today. 
Just live today and do what makes you happy. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thank Thanks. you. Don't Those be a stranger. Those are some great words of wisdom. Absolutely. I mean, live, live and make yourself happy. Just don't uh, do things for the sake of doing things. Do what makes you happy. That's wonderful words. Great, great. And listen, I'll be back anytime. Thank you, and we'll have you back. Yes, open invitation. And so that wraps up today's uh, podcast. We are finished for March 16th, 2019. Uh, what do you have to say about that, Professor? Day after the Ides of March. Um, since that, that's kind of a heavy thing, the Ides of March and Julius Caesar assassinated, I think need to lighten things up. Oh, no. So, yep, dad oh, joke no. time. Dad joke. Okay, here we go, folks. All right. Hey, you want to hear a cat joke? Just kidding. Did you get that? <laughs> she tried not to laugh. Every time she loves my I dad hear jokes. that dad joke, and that's not the first time. I, I just love that one. Just kitten. Not kidding, but kitten. That, that's cool. I like that. Speaking of kittens and cats... Did you know that uh, a lot of people think that, and I used to be one of those, believe that cats are nocturnal, but they're really not nocturnal. What do you mean they're not nocturnal? Well, they're not. They're crepuscular. They're what? Crepuscular. They're what? Crepuscular. Okay. Um, all right. Are you going to explain that at some point? Uh, I will in episode nine, our feline nine lives episode. Yeah, okay, folks. You gotta really tune in for this one. Did you say crepuscular? That's right. You got it. Okay, I gotta look that one up. All right, I'm gonna go look up crepuscular to see what that means. First, I gotta figure out how to spell it. But after that, um, we'll talk with you guys next time. So, all the best. Peace out. Bye, folks. You have been listening to This and That, a podcast collaboration about some of everything about anything. This has been hosted by David and Brenda and is presented by AboutGreaterCincinnati.com. Music by Poddington Bear. Please subscribe to our podcast so that you can stay up to date about future episodes. If you have any comments or suggestions about this episode, future episodes, interested in sponsorship and or advertising, please email us at this and that at aboutgreatercincinnati.com. All rights reserved. Thank you and all the best.